0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn his truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. All right, we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, looking at verses 7 through 11. Not a long passage of Scripture, but it's got enough for us to cover. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7-11. through 11. Allow me to read this. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, Peter is really showing us that the best way to deal with any kind of persecution or suffering that we may face in life is to focus on the promise that Jesus is coming in his day of glory. Now, when is that going to take place? Anybody know? Well, since Jesus said only the Father knows that I don't even know, there's no reason for man to try to figure it out. If Jesus says, I don't know, only the Father knows, then... Man just needs to quit trying to figure out when he's coming again. Now, when we look at verse 7, the beginning of it, says, The end of all things is near. The earth is about to end right now. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. Has it ended? Has Jesus come? No. Well, that is not really what that means. The word end there actually means goal. The goal of all things is near. What is our goal in life? Well, first of all, it's to live a life that honors God, a life that is obedient to God. But it's to finish well. It's to finish where there should not be any regrets to look back on our life and say, I wish I had done this, I wish I had done this, I wish I had done this. And so basically, uh, to die in such a way that we know that we've touched lives with the love of Christ. Now, the question that we really need to ask is, when will this time comes? Does anybody know when they're going to die? You know, we're not guaranteed a single second on this earth. Any of us could pass away before this evening's over with. I hope you understand that. You know, you look at these life expectancy charts. Uh, when my dad passed away, I inherited a little uh, IRA from him. Well, since he had already started getting the automatic withholdings, I had to start getting the automatic withholdings, which means that uh, whoever holds the IRA basically recalculates what they expect me, my life expectancies to be, then they divide that by a certain percentage and that's how much I get each year. Now, they didn't tell me how long they expected me to live. You You can actually go online and do all sorts of charts and it can say, well, if you have you know, a short family history, you know, if your parents and your grandparents and all those did not live very long, chances are you won't either. If you have longevity in your history, then there's a chance that you may have more longevity. But with all the different diseases out there and all the different things that, you know, could take place, you know, an auto accident, a strike of lightning, anything could end our lives. we need to live our lives each and every day as if it could be our last. You know, just talked about you know a couple of people that you know now have COVID and you know they're 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 struggling with it. Uh, Sean Kelly's a strapping young guy and you know he he probably would have been the last one to think that he would be on the edge of death. You know, depending on something else to breathe for him, and you know. We just don't know. What would happen if you knew for a fact that in a week's time that you're gonna die? If If a doctor says you have terminal cancer, there's nothing we can do about it, and it's progressed very rapidly, and you really have very little time to live. Would you be studying the stock market and seeing how your investments were doing and thinking about what can I do to boost my retirement? Is that the top thing on your list? I hope not, it probably is right now. You know, we, we tend to be very conscious about our future. What would you be doing if you knew that you only had a week? How would it change your outlook on life? Well, I would like to think that, you know, we would probably call in our, those who are dearest to us and spend as much time as we could. And hopefully we would be thinking about how can I still be used by God? How can I still share His love? How can I be used by Him for His honor and glory? So really what we need to think about is how are we living each day? Are we living each day thinking about some distant future where we may do this, we may do that? Or we think about today? What does God want me to do today? How can I be a part of His service today? So as Christians, Christians, we really need to live each day with some, somewhat of a fervency, a, a desire to focus on how does God expect me to live? How am I supposed to live for Him? Uh, so whether we're persecuted or not, you know, it really doesn't matter. You know, Peter's writing to the churches in Asia Minor. They're going through persecution and that persecution is increasing. So in all aspects, they really don't know if they're going to live another day or not. Or how long that they would live. And so their focus is probably on survival. And Peter's just saying, let's quit worrying about what you may or may not face. Let's focus on whose you are. Who you belong to. So the last part of verse 7 says, be a sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So I just use the term, the difference between being calm and being panicked. There's a lot of people that live life panicked. They're always so worried about what could possibly happen that they can't enjoy life. And these church people in Asia Minor probably had a good reason to panic. The persecution is growing and growing and growing. More and more of their friends are being imprisoned. They're being beaten. They're being martyred, dying for their faith. And so it'd be pretty easy to start panicking if that's what's going on around you. But this is what Peter says. Be of sound judgment, sober spirit, for the purpose of prayer. So how do you remain calm in tense situations? Is it possible to stay calm in tense situations? Well, Peter's pretty much saying we need to. Sound judgment. What is judgment? It's determining what's going on and what you can do about it. Here's kind of a real simple way that I look at life. If there's something that I need to deal with, I need to do what I can that is right to deal with it. If I can't do anything else, then quit worrying about it. If I can't do anything else, what else is there to do? Does that make sense? It sounds simplistic, but it's really a way I've really strived to live my life. Do what you can to deal with the situation once you've done all you can Quit worrying about it. It's in God's hands anyway if you're a child of God. So be calm about it. Remain calm. Don't allow the turmoil to get you. So that's using sound judgment, looking at the reality of life. And quit looking at the what could happen. If we keep looking at what could possibly happen, we will always remain panicked. You know, it, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. You know, the sky's falling. You know, we, we just can get into this negative uh, attitude of what could possibly go wrong tomorrow. Well, let me think about it. This could go wrong. This could go wrong. We need to quit thinking that way and use sound judgment. And also it says to be sober spirited. I think that's that calm assurance that God can give us. Sober spirit. Well, that just simply... To be sober means that you're not being controlled by something else. To be unsober means to be drunk, which means something else is in control of your life. But to be sober-spirited means that you're in control. Really, you're allowing God to be in control. So... You could be in panic mode because of what's going on around you. If you're an Afghan right now and you're a Christian... There'd be good reason to panic. Because they're going door to door. They're looking at phones, seeing if there's any kind of Christian apps on it. If they if there is, you're automatically killed. They're gonna be persecuting them. They're looking for them. Uh, they're trying to find people who will testify who is a Christian, who's leading, you know, Bible studies and things of that nature. So probably would be an easy thing to panic if you were in Afghan and Afghanistan, and you're a Christian. But let me just ask this question. What's going to happen to you when you die? Is it going to be a bad thing? What's going to happen to you when you die? It's not going to be a bad thing. You leave this earth. God gives you a glorified body. You'll be ushered into His presence There will be no more weeping, no more gnashing of teeth, no more pain, no more suffering. Nothing bad at all will be in a situation of joy, love, peace in the presence of God. That's not a bad thing. It's a whole lot better than what we're experiencing right now, right? So we really don't need to worry about dying. We need to worry about living. That's really what we need to focus on. So, how to remain calm? Well, the last part of verse 7 gives us the answer. For the purpose of prayer. The typical Christian today avoids prayer like the plague. Prayer is an obligation to most Christians. Well, I've got to pray because I'm supposed to pray. And they do some little rote prayer that lasts three, maybe two or three minutes, if that long, and they kind of do this thing that they pretty much have memorized, and then they say, okay, amen, let me get on with life. Prayer is the most powerful tool that we have as a child of God. It's a gift of God. It is our connection to be with God. We can talk to God as if he were in this room, which he is, and we can talk to him, share anything on our hearts, our joys, our sorrows, anything that's going on, and he hears us and he cares for us. He'll give us wisdom and guidance to know the paths we need to follow and whatever it is that we're dealing with. He may not guide us in the way that we want him to, but he'll guide us in what is best, what is right in his eyes. And so prayer is simply the most powerful tool That God gives us. And Peter is basically saying, if you just keep in touch with God, if you keep praying, then he's going to give you peace, comfort, strength, guidance, wisdom, anything you need. Because if we go to God with a problem, he hears our prayers. And he answers our prayers. Like I said, he doesn't always answer them the way that we want him to, but he answers them the way he wants to. So we look at that first verse, verse 7. It's not the end of all things, it's the goal of what is yet to come. What are we doing in life? What is our end goal in life? There is an imminent return of Jesus Christ. He is coming back. Y'all do understand that. Y'all read the last chapter, haven't you, in the Bible? He does come back. You know, it's, this, I'll, Susan likes to flip ahead to see if the character stays alive in the book that she's reading. I say, quit doing that. Let it build. Let the suspense build. Well, the Bible's one time I say, it's okay to read the last chapter first because it works. Jesus is going to return in his glory. So we need to know that you know, his promise does come true. Let's pick up verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, be fervent in love. That means to have a passion for it, to, to say love is more than just this emotional feeling. It's something I've got to choose to do because that's what agape love is. It's called unconditional love, to have love for one another even when that person may not treat you nice Even when that person is not your best friend, we are to love one another, period. There's there's no, unless, there's no, well, what if they love one another? It's just that simple. Be fervent in your love for one another. Does that make sense? I mean, God is telling us that we're to love one another unconditionally without holding anything back. He says, because love covers a multitude of sins. So that means that if one of us fails God, we're just supposed to sweep it under a rug and never say anything about it and just act like it never happened. Nope, that's not exactly what God's meaning. But the compassion that we have for those who have failed God including ourselves, the compassion that we want to receive when we fail God, is what keeps the church strong. Who is writing this book? First what? Peter. Okay, guess what I'm preaching Sunday? Peter being restored by Jesus. Why does Peter need restoring? He denied Jesus three times as he was taken away for his crucifixion. Who failed Jesus? Jesus. Big time. Peter, who was restored through love? Peter. Do you think he might have been thinking about that incident when he wrote this? Love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus didn't cover up his denial, did he? But he loved him through it. And he restored him. And he showed him that love is still available to him. So in other words, this type of love love that uh, covers a multitude of sins is a love that uh, Jesus showed himself. He modeled it for Peter and he models it for us. So when, when our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ go through a time of failure are we just supposed to write them off and kind of push them off into the corner and Maybe hope that they just leave so that they won't be a stain on our church. Unfortunately, some churches kind of do that. You know, we like to shoot our own wounded. We start gossiping about that person, about how terrible they are, what they've done, and how it's destroying the fellowship of our church, and we wish that they would just leave so that we could get on with our perfect lives. That was a little bit facetious. We don't live perfect lives, right? We're all failures. And that's what we need to realize is the failure they went through may be more visible than our own failures, but we're all failures. And we all need to be shown this unconditional love, a love that draws us back, that lifts us up, that encourages us, that helps us to be brought back into the fellowship. That's what this is talking about. Could it be that... uh, Peter knew that some of these churches were struggling with this issue. That because of the persecution, some of them may have kind of fallen away from Christ. Maybe done exactly what Peter did and denied Christ. And they want to just say, well, you denied Christ. You're no longer a part of us. Get away. And Peter's saying, hey, listen, I went through that. God is God of second chances. Let's love them through this. Let's encourage them. Let's draw them back. Let's strengthen them with the love that God's given us to love. So this is what he wants us to do is to strengthen the body of Christ by loving each other. Then we look at verse nine. It says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Hospitality is should be a gift for all Christians. I think some have a greater extent of that hospitality. They, their house is just always open. People just kind of feel free to just drop by and come in and Well, in the day that Peter is writing this, hospitality was a needful thing. as Christians traveled, uh, they really depended on other Christians to provide a place to stay. There were some ends we, we read and Matthew chapter 1, uh, uh, you know, when, uh, Matthew when uh, Joseph and Mary went into Bethlehem and there's no room in the inn. Well, inns were not the Holiday Inn or the Ramada Inn or the Omni or any other hotel or anything like that. They were basically just houses that had a few extra rooms that they would rent out on occasion. Well, there weren't that many of them and even those that were you had to pay a price to stay there. And a lot of people really just didn't have the, the finances to do that. So they depended on the generosity, the hospitality of others as they traveled. And in many of the uh, Middle Eastern countries, this is still very much uh, the norm. If anybody, a stranger, comes and asks for, 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 for a lodging or something, they'll put them up. They'll feed them and send them on their way the next day. You know, that's kind of weird to us because most of us, number one, are financially able to to stay at a motel or a hotel or we've made arrangements with friends or, you know, family or something like that, anywhere we're going. We don't think about, well, I'm just going to stop off at the local church and see if somebody put me up. Um to be honest with you, most people probably wouldn't want to because it's a totally unknown person. But really Peter's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is one time where the focus is on the family of God. If you'll look at it, he's really talking about the church. Minister to one another, love one another, because that love covers that multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another. And he puts a little disclaimer on there without complaint. You know, some people will say, Well, I guess I'll let you stay. <laughs> you know, not really wholeheartedly wanting to do that but because of the situation i'll let you and kind of begrudgingly do it no the people of this culture they open their house willingly openly and welcome people in they would give them food they would help clean themselves up they would provide usually food for their travel and they did it without complaint it's just a, a natural part of being a child of God. You ministered in whatever ways there was a need. And being hospitable uh, as people traveled through was one of those ways to do that. Then picking up verse 10, uh, actually going through verse 11, 11, we're going to see that Peter made the assumption that the churches in Asia Minor knew that each and every child of God had some kind of special or spiritual gift. Because he says, whoever... Uh, let me get back, verse ten. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, it is to it is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, it is to do as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Now, Paul does a pretty good job of. of given us list of spiritual gifts peter does not do that he he may have just put a footnote and say see paul he'll list them all for you but peter basically takes all the spiritual gifts and puts them into two categories speaking gifts and service gifts there are two categories speaking gifts are encouraging others giving direction, teaching, preaching, evangelizing. All of these are speaking gifts. He says, whoever speaks it, to do so as one speaking the utterances of God. Now, Peter is one who spoke the utterances of God, and it's recorded in, our, in the Bible. Paul did the same thing. Matthew did the same thing. Luke did the same thing. John did the same thing. James did the same thing. These are inspired words from God that were recorded in the the Bible. Now, if God inspires us to say something, do you think we're going to tack it on to the Bible? The Bible's complete. We don't need any more addendums to it. However, God can inspire you and I the same way He did Peter and John and Paul and the many others who wrote the Word of God. He can inspire us to give words of wisdom, words of encouragement, words of correction. All these things God can inspire us to do. So basically what Peter's saying is when you speak or whoever does speak, do so as one speaking the utterances of God. In other words, well, here's what I think you ought to do. Quit talking about what you think and say, according to the word of God, here's what we ought to do. Thus saith the Lord is a powerful statement. We don't say it that way anymore. But the word of God says this, and quote it. God shows us love. God says that what you're doing is, is in disobedience to him. So our words can be words of encouragement. They can be words of correction. They can be words of love. They can be words of forgiveness. They can be uplifting words. They can be words that help people to see the faults in their lives, but they need to be from God instead of from us. Now, we all can kind of get to this point where well, I've been a Christian for a long time. I think I know what the Word of God says, so I'm authority to say it. Well, you may have the authority in your heart of knowledge of the Word of God, but if you speak it as if it, as if it's your own thoughts and your own convictions, you're not sharing it as the utterances of God. So we need to say, according to the Word of God, God says this. According to the Word of God, we need to lift up each other in love. According to the Word of God, that love covers a multitude of sins. According to the Word of God, what you're doing is out of God's will. So whatever we say needs to be in accordance to the Word of God. And we need to say it as if uttering Word of God. And then also, whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. There's your other category of spiritual gifts service gifts. And a good steward. Many different service gifts. There's always a way to serve. We look at the makeup of the church. The early church had usually multiple pastors or elders that would lead the church. Uh, Usually very seldom it was just one man that would be uh, doing that. Maybe one would focus more on teaching. One would focus more on ministry and things of this nature. But even in the early church, the disciples realized, hey, we need some help. Because they were complaining that the widows and the orphans were not being fed properly. And so they brought in what we now call deacons to serve tables, to help minister to the extra needs that the disciples did not feel that they needed to take away from their other ministries to take care of. So service gifts are ministering one to another, meeting needs. Now, hospitality is one of those, ministering to needs. It may not be opening your house, but it may be saying... You know, so-and-so just got out of the hospital. Let me go take a meal to them and their family to help them not have to worry about it. One of the great ministries this church has is uh, the bereavement committee. Anytime, you know, a family member has a loss, we feed the family before or after the funeral. Y'all don't understand, you probably do understand, what a blessing that is for a family that may have 20, 30, 40, 50 people coming from out of town to try to cram all those people around a table that normally sits six in their home, it's not gonna happen. And you don't want to need to rent out the, the civic center or something like that to feed your family. And the cost of feeding them and making sure that you have ample, yeah, you can go to the store and get a bunch of bologna and, and bread and, and you know soft drinks, it's not the same as getting turkey and all the fixings and everything that this church puts on the table. That is such a blessing. That is a service ministry. But we don't need to do it in our own strength. As we do it and people compliment us, we just say, this is what God's called us to do. This is why we're here. We're here to minister in His name. Because Look, look at what He says after that. So that All things, God in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We do these things for this one purpose, so that in all the things that we do, whether it's what things that we say, our service gifts, God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. He's the one who belongs, all the glory belongs to. If we are getting any pats on the back and not turning it back to God, not saying, wait a minute, I'm not doing it for my own. I'm doing it because God wants us to minister. If we do it for ourselves and we're self-centered and we're not in God's will, God wants us to glorify Him through His Son, Jesus, because all glory and dominion belong to Him. Forever and ever. Amen. So that wasn't just 2,000 years ago. That continues to be today. So serving one another for what purpose? So that God will receive the glory. That's why we are to live each and every day. The end of all things is near. The goal, what is our goal? To live for the Lord each and every day. As if it could be our last. we don't need to live and say, well, you know, I didn't do too good today. I hope I don't die tomorrow. We need to live each day as unto the Lord. Susan and I have talked many times. You know, I, I worked uh, secular jobs for quite a while. I've worked at Wendy's and Kroger and a bunch of different other things. Uh, construction. And I came to the point where, you know, if I was working for my paycheck, I probably wouldn't want to work very hard Sometimes. And I finally came to the point I'm not working for this company or for this boss. I'm working for the Lord. So I need to work as unto the Lord. No matter what I'm getting paid. No matter what my title is. That's the way we need to live. As unto the Lord. May each and every day bring honor and glory to Him. You know we could all live in a gloom and doom because of how bad the world around us is. It would be easy to get our focus off of God and onto the Terrible things that are happening, but again, if we die today or tomorrow or sometime in the near future, it's not going to be that bad. It's going to be a pretty good thing. We leave this decrepit body and we're fitted with a glorified body, fit for heaven, and we're ushered into the presence of God for all of eternity. It's not a bad deal. So don't worry about when we're going to die. It's going to be a good thing. The only bad thing about dying is that you leave your loved ones behind. The only thing bad about somebody else dying is they leave us behind. The tears I cried when my mom and dad passed away was not because they were in a bad situation. I knew that they were being ushered into the presence of God. The tears were I wouldn't be able to see them and talk to them again. Uh, It wasn't too long after my dad passed away that Matthew got his big job in Lexington, Kentucky. And the first thing I thought about, I wanted to pick up my phone and call my dad because he was a prayer warrior for Matthew. And I knew he would just be so tickled to hear. Well, he, he, he ministered in his own way, not knowing. We raided his house and took a bunch of his furniture and set Matthew up for in his apartment. So I know he'd been tickled about that too. So. But, you know, we could be in such gloom and doom about death. But we don't need to be. Not when we're a child of God, anyway. Uh, we need to live each day as if it could be our last. We need to live each and every day as unto the Lord. Whether it's what we say or whether what we do, may it all be in, for one purpose, to glorify God through His Son, Jesus Christ. So may we live with that calm assurance that God is in control. He loves us. He cares for us. He knows what's going on in our lives. There's nothing that surprises God whatsoever. He knows what we're facing. He knows that He he is the answer to whatever it is that we face. He loves us. He cares for us. He will give us wisdom, guidance, strength, comfort, peace, whatever it is that we need. So quit worrying. Peter was trying to help the churches in Asia Minor to quit worrying about the persecution they were facing. Man can kill the body, but not the soul. They belong to God. And that's what He was telling them. Quit worrying about what other people have done, whether it's right or wrong. Love them unconditionally. Help them to be restored just like I was. Share the love of Christ through everything that you say and do. And may God receive the glory. He's worth it. We're not. So may we live faithfully by living for Him. Hope none of y'all die between now and Sunday. But if you do, you're going to be in a better place than you are right now. That I can promise you. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your presence and your love for us. Lord, a love that we cannot fully understand. A love that is so forgiving, so unconditional, that when we do fail you, Lord, that you are there to to lift us back up, to love us, to correct us, and to restore us anew. Lord, may we live each and every day as unto you, so that all honor and glory goes to you and not us. May we live by sharing your love with others in all that we say and in all that we do. May you truly be in control as we surrender our lives in you to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.